0: Hello and welcome to the Green Leads Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. Today I have on a really exciting guest. Her name is Jen Drummond and she is a mountaineer and mom to seven kids. Jen is on a mission to become the first woman ever to climb the seven second summits and for those of you who don't know those are the second highest mountains of each of the seven continents we get all into this into in the episode I was really interested in speaking with Jen obviously because she is a badass But second, because she is a vegetarian, so she does all of this on a plant-based diet, which I think is really, really interesting. So we got into her life before she became a mountaineer. She grew up abroad, and she was always an athlete, and she also survived a fatal car crash. Why? She set this goal to become the first woman to complete the seven-second summits, exactly how these hikes work because I am not an experienced hiker uh, I didn't know how you do overnight hikes how the food works how you get the food up there who's carrying all this stuff for you I asked her all those little questions so that you get more of a sense of what it's like when she's doing this how she factors nutrition in and then of course we talked about being a vegetarian and what she eats and then how she balances this all of this with seven kids so this was a really interesting interview I think you were gonna going to love Jen and I'm going to hop into that but first I'm going to remind you to subscribe to this podcast and to send me any feedback you have at greenleads on Instagram and I'm excited for you to listen to this interview so let's get into it now. Hi Jen, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I want to talk all about your amazing career and everything you've done, but I kind of want to start at the beginning. And uh, I know you grew up abroad, not in the United States. And I wanted to ask if that shaped you as an athlete and as a person.
1: You know, I spent time abroad and I think doing so introduces you to different ways of doing things and maybe prioritizing a little bit differently. I spent time in Sweden. So they spend a lot of time outdoors doing a whole bunch of different activities. And I am confident that has played a role into what I'm doing today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So do you think you've been kind of an athlete your whole life?
1: Yeah. I I mean, as long as I did sports, I didn't have to do chores, right? So um, when I was younger, I picked up on that fast and um, did gymnastics and tennis and sailing and soccer and just pretty much anything that kept me busy.
0: I love that. You didn't have to do chores. You got to actually do things that were fun instead. Yeah. So when did you start climbing?
1: Um, I moved to Utah in 2015 and was introduced to climbing then. So I met some friends that were into it heavily, um, and they kind of pulled me along. And then I think I got addicted to it and started traveling a little bit more to climb. Um, And fast forward to where we are today, heading to Pakistan tomorrow.
0: (laughs) Do you remember your first climb and what that was like?
1: Yeah, so my first climb was actually a pretty big one. Um, I live in Park City, so we do lots of hiking. And this couple, they like to go to Wyoming every year and climb the Grand Teton. And they're like, hey, do you want to come with us and go do the Grand? And I had really no idea how big of an adventure I was getting into. But I said, yeah, of course, I'll join. Um, So we drove uh, to Jackson and climbed the Grand Teton in a day. And it was amazing. It was an awesome experience. It took most of the day and it's a little bit of everything on that climb. And it was just a fun time to be outdoors with friends. And you feel so accomplished when you're done.
0: Yeah, I I have some friends from Colorado who will sometimes go and do... I forget what they call it. What do they call Like 14ers or something like, yeah, they mi- call them 14ers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm from New York city. So we don't have anything near like that around here. Well, go, maybe I'll go to the Hudson Valley and I'll hike something. I'll take two hours. I don't even know how many, it's probably like two miles. I have no idea, but I'm always so impressed with that. People you just spend all day climbing and I'm sure when you get to the top, it's incredible.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. And, um, it's fun because you come in and you kind of go through different topography on the mountain, right? Lower mountain has more trees or it's more shaded. Then you go through a rock section and then you just get to like different, most mountains are broken up into different chunks. And so you get to like the next station, you'll take a break or continue going. And all of a sudden you're at the top and the views are always amazing, And then when you start heading back down, you're going almost in the same path that you came up and you're like, wow, my thoughts totally have changed or oh wow we were here like, I remember feeling this is exhausting and now I'm going downhill and it's so easy and it's just, it's that out and back journey that kind of cycles you through like a whole bunch of stuff in your brain which is, which is fun.
0: I'm sure. And and you talk a lot about on your website and social media about mindset and positivity. And I know you survived a fatal car crash and you you kind of credit that as igniting your passion for a life. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I was in a car accident in 2018 that should have taken my life. Um, the cops called a few weeks after the accident had taken place and they're like, listen, we've rebuilt this accident and can't build a scenario where you live. Right. Let alone walk away with barely any injuries. And when one of those events happens um, just perspective on life shifts, right? Like my, my brain was like, I should be dead, but I'm not. So what does that mean? Like, who am I? And had I died, what would they have said at my funeral? right? And it was just a real big check-in on, I don't get to control when I leave this place, but I sure get to control how I show up every day. And in doing that, like it just made me realize that maybe it was time to put me back into my life a little bit more. Um, I have seven kids, so it's very easy to take care of the kids and just kind of my theory was I'm going to get them launched and then come back to me. I'm going to get them launched and come back to me. And when I got in the car accident, I'm like, wow, maybe I'm teaching them that their life is more important than my life with what I'm doing on the day-to-day basis. And is there a better way to do this where we're all thriving instead of me, you know, supporting them and maybe not being as happy as I could be. So in looking at that closer, um, I kind of talked to them and said, Hey, mom wants to get into this mountaineering a little bit more. And they were pretty excited about it. And it's been fun because now it's kind of shifted us from me being the mom and taking care of them all the time to us living our lives more in parallel. And so when they're complaining about math, I can be like, yeah, we don't always have to, we don't always get to do what we want to do, but we get where we want to be by doing that. Right. And so mom doesn't feel like running today, but she has to, because otherwise she can't get this goal done. And it's been nice just to have examples or kind of share in the story just at a different level with them. And I think it's benefited all of us.
0: I love that. I love that. I I actually don't have kids, so I don't know what it's like, but I do have a lot of friends who are moms and I know that it's hard to take time for yourself. And I think that that's so important. You're like, you kind of said, it makes you a better person really at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are any of your kids, how, what are the age ranges? Are any of them able to come out with you? Yeah. So, um,
1: my kids are age eight to 14. Um, and it has been fun because I'm able to incorporate them in different ways, right? Like my oldest is starting to lift weights at the gym. So I'll lift weights at the gym at the same time he is, we might be doing slightly different things, but we're there together or I'll ride bikes with the kids and then maybe go for a run or I'll run and they'll ride bikes and they'll beat me there and get an ice cream and then I'll catch them. And then we go back together. So there's definitely ways to enjoy it with them. And um, when they have soccer practice, sometimes I'll do laps around the field and then just wait till they're done with practice and just train that way. So you have to get a little creative, but it works. If you want to get the latest cutting edge information in the field of sports medicine, check out my new show the sports physical therapy podcast i'm mike Reynolds. each week i feature a new interview with some of the leading and emerging experts in our field so they can share their recent research clinical experience and best career advice check it out on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts that's
0: awesome i love it and i So I want to talk about your lofty goal, which I just learned about just reading about you. So you want to be the first woman to complete the seven second summits, which are the second tallest mountains on each continent. And your website says these summits have the same heavy undertaking of high altitude ascents, but with less infrastructure and climbing traffic associated with the climb. So obviously this sounds like an incredible feat. What motivated you to want to be able to do this? Yeah. I think
1: all of us start down a path and then doors open and like these dreams kind of evolve and change or get legs or do different things. Um, so it started with my son was like complaining about doing his math homework. And I'm like, Hey buddy, we do hard things. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And he looks up at me. And he's like, well, if we do hard things, why haven't you climbed Mount Everest yet? And I'm like, yeah so we looked at it and i'm like you know what i'll do mount everest and you guys do this and no one's allowed to complain about anything so we had this agreement or whatever and i hired a coach um to help me vet climbing companies so i find like in any field that you're in finding a mentor that's been there done that can look at it from a different perspective is beneficial so i hired a person named alan arnett who um is in his seventies and is pretty much retired from climbing, but knows all of the people in the industry. So he helped me like call climbing companies and ask questions I wouldn't think to ask. Like how many times have the Sherpa been up or what's the dining plan or what happens under these scenarios that having not experienced that, I wouldn't know to think to even consider that. Um, so in talking to him, he was like, Hey Jen, you've got a lot of energy I think you should like look at some of these other things out there too if you really love this and i'm like what are you talking about he's like well you know the seven second summons haven't been done by a female before and you have seven kids so you know like think about it and um i love a challenge i love goals it helps me stay focused and kind of in my lane so when that like presented itself i looked into it more and i said you know what let's do this let's let's try it and see what happens and it's been amazing. It's a journey so far for sure.
0: I want to hear all about what goes into this. But before I actually get to the hiking itself or the climbing, uh, what is it like to even train for this? Like, what does your training schedule look like?
1: It's funny. It's a lot less than I think what people presume it to be. Um, I will do, I live in the mountains, so I'll do big mountain hikes probably twice a week, sometimes three times a week. It depends if I'm getting close to a mountain or if I have a long way till I go. Um, Then I'll cross train in the gym lifting about two days a week. Um, And then I will climb at like a climbing gym one day a week, or I'll climb outside if the weather permits. And then I mix in whatever I want to do. I'll mix in Pilates, I'll mix in yoga, I'll mix in like a stretching class or maybe go on a bike ride or things like that. But I try to make sure that at least every week I have like two short hikes, one big hike, two lifting sessions, and then one stretching session. And then anything else is fun.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing at myself that you you said that's not as much as you would think. It's actually a lot, it's quite yeah, a lot. No, I forget, yeah.
1: I mean, I used to do triathlons and triathlons, you're like, oh, I gotta run, bike and, you know, like it's just, it felt like so much more than what this is, to be honest.
0: Yeah, no, I know. I I run, so it's like I only run, although I do strength training and whatever, but it's still even when you're training for a marathon, it's still less than what you do. <laughs> <laughs> so, when you actually go and do these hikes, which you've done, you've completed two of the seven?
1: Yeah, so I've done two of the seven and then I've done a couple other mountains more for training and just making sure that I had the skill sets and what I need to get to the the ones that are still outstanding.
0: Okay. So walk me through it. Kind of like you said, you called this, uh, you had a coach who helped you find guides. I've never done anything like this before. I'm not sure that I ever will, to be honest, but uh, so how does this work? Like, is there a guide with you the whole time? How, can you kind of like just for a newbie who doesn't really understand how, what it takes to to do this?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're new, um, it's kind of like if you hike in the Grand um, Tetons in Jackson Hole or whatever, you can go with a guide that knows the route, that kind of knows how to pace you, knows the weather, can read the environment and help make it safer. Um, The bigger the mountain it is, the more important that is, Um, especially when you're in different countries and different things like that. So I always work with a guide At some point in the future, um, I might change that, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. For me, it's insurance with seven little people at home to just have like another person that's way more familiar with the environment than I might be. And so when you hire a guide, you're definitely looking for somebody that has a personality match, somebody that you can be honest with, with here's where I'm at. They know you like how they address safety and concerns. Um, And so that's really important um and that's been helpful for me and then the team like a lot of times you're climbing with a group of people so just making sure that you get along with everybody or for the most part most people i did everest everest is it was like a six-week adventure right and it takes about a week to summit and come back down and you got to plan food, you got to plan everything. And like your group either builds you up or tears you apart, right? If one person gets negative, it's easy for that to infect everybody. So just really making sure you have a positive, upbeat group that's done their work that deserves to be there. And so the more you get into it, the more you find your people, then you start kind of doing stuff together.
0: My husband has uh, done Machu Picchu, which I know is kind of like a touristy thing. And uh, he's told me about how it took a few days and there was a guide and I think there was donkeys carrying their stuff Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) and they, they slept on the mountain. So how do you, how do you transport gear? And also I of course want to get into the food stuff really, but how does all of that work and you, where do you sleep and all of that kind of stuff?
1: So like every mountain's got its own little way of doing it. Right. So when you do Everest, when you hike into Everest base camp, you have tea houses along the way. So you get to stay at the tea houses. And for the most part, yaks will bring in your equipment. Um, Everest is way commercialized as well. So a lot of times helicopters can drop off loads um, to base camp so that you have fresh food coming in or you know different amenities that are not your everyday mountain experience, but definitely nice of when you're there that long. Um, and then like, I'm going to K2 soon because that's the second highest peak and, um, next to Everest. And when I go there, they will have high altitude porters. So then you pay people to carry your stuff in and you make sure your bags are under a certain weight so that everybody's not carrying too much. And then you're a little more conscientious of what you're bringing because of how it's being carried in. Um, some of the adventures, like when I did Mount Kenya, it was six days to get to the location, but then it was a one day climb. So, um, Again, you had people and animals helping bringing stuff along the journey, but the one day climb, you just carry your own stuff because you're up and down in the same day, so it all depends.
0: It depends on the place. I remember this is kind of a side tangent. I, I remember seeing a picture, I think it was of Everest, the top of Everest, and how it's become so popular that there was lines of people waiting to like get to the top so that they could take a picture. Is that is that what it was like when you were there?
1: Luckily, I mean, it was, this year was very unique. In like normal years, you have 60% of the people that attempt Everest will summit. Um, this year, we were closer to maybe 30% of the people. Um, our group was there. We were one of the last groups to summit. So there's people that set the lines and summited May 11th and 12th. There's another couple groups that summited May 23 and 24. We summited on May 31st. And there was another group that summited on April, um, June 1st. Um, When we summited, I think there might have been 25 people on the mountain. And so we like had the mountain to ourselves. There was a couple of people up when we got up. Then you kind of go, you don't stay up there for that long just because it's so cold and windy and the weather. Um, And then we started heading back down. So this year, I don't feel like we saw the crowds that we've seen photos of like in 2019 and such, which is a blessing for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. It's been interesting this year going and doing these things did you do any in 2020 or has it only been 2021 and if if so did you have to quarantine on all that stuff yeah so
1: luckily um every country kind of has its own protocol and things so we've been watching what countries do and that's been dictating what mountains i've climbed so far um so in 2020 i climbed ama de blam which is not one of the second summits but just a mountain that i had always had on my list and then my first second summit mountain was ojos del salado in chile which at that time was open. You had to take a negative COVID test to arrive, and negative COVID test upon arrival. And then, because we were in like the middle of nowhere, not in the city, um, we just had to check in when we had Wi-Fi to say like, "Hey, everybody's temperature's normal. We're doing fine." And then we took a negative COVID test to exit. Um, the next mountain I did was in February of 2021, which is Mount Kenya. And Kenya was like the negative test to fly, a negative test upon arrival, and then a negative test when you got back or whatever. Um, in Nepal, we had the negative test. Like so far, everybody's been, they test you randomly just to make sure that you're still negative and you're not carrying the anything to hurt anybody else, right? Which is what nobody wants to have happen.
0: Yeah, it throws a whole nother wrench into it, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> Talk to me about nutrition. Okay. So you're, you have these P pe- like every mountain is different, like you said, and you have different ways of getting things up there. Do you get to plan your food ahead of time? How does that work?
1: The food thing is probably uh, it's a struggle. I mean, to be honest with you, um, they will have food there that you are welcome to eat. And they, you tell them like, before you're like, Hey, I'm a vegan or a vegetarian or whatever you're, you're, appetite choice is. Um and they try to accommodate you. And then it's suggested that you bring stuff from home um, just so that you're not stuck there and have like nothing to eat. Right. Um, which would never be the case. They always the nice thing is is most of the countries you're going to, their staple items are rice and potatoes. So you know you have your carbs covered. It's just you're not going to get a fresh salad on the top of Mount Everest. Right. So it's those kinds of things that you're like, bah
0: <laughs> Yeah. No, I've been a vegetarian for more than a decade and I've been to different countries and it's a lot of rice and beans type of things in in certain countries, uh, which is actually good for carbs, like you said, but do you, do you have certain foods that you always bring from home that you need to have with you?
1: Yeah. I mean, food's a comfort at some level, right? So I will always bring, I dehydrate nuts. Um, So I'll soak them and dehydrate them. So I'll always bring those. I'll always bring dehydrated fruits um, just because of the calories or whatever. There's a company called Athletic Greens um, that I'll bring just because I can mix those with water and at least feel like I'm getting some kind of nutrients that are about impossible to replicate up there. A lot of the mountains will still offer spinach. I mean, it will be cooked and it's the same way every day, but at least it's something. And lentils, lentils are really easy to get like a protein at least and just give you something with a little bit of variety.
0: Have you been a vegetarian the whole time you've been doing this or how long have you been a vegetarian for?
1: Yeah. And I'm like, I really lean towards vegan, even on top of vegetarian. It's just, um, you have, to, there comes a point where you like, you just can't be a pain in the butt. Right. So you, you just accommodate as much as you can.
0: Yeah. It's, I know I can only imagine that it, being a vegan is hard in everyday life, right? Like just at the top of a mountain, if someone's going to give you an egg, you're going to eat the egg. Yes. <laughs> Do you have any idea how many calories you eat while you're doing this kind of stuff?
1: I don't track calories, I track how I feel. Um, And I find that's been the best way for me to do it, because it's hard to get enough calories in. But for some reason, your body, you kind of lose hunger as you get higher in altitude. Um, So if you start feeling tired, or you're dragging, or I start getting grumpy or hangry, then I know that I need to eat more. But my body has been adjusting really well so far. I haven't had problems like I was expecting, to be honest with you, I thought it'd be harder than what it's been.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I work with a lot of athletes and we never really do calorie counting, but I always think it's interesting with people who are competing at such a high level, how many calories they really eat. Because I think also a lot of kind of just everyday athletes under consume food. They think that they shouldn't eat food. And I love to like give the stories like you're saying about how you need the carbs and how you need all this food, because it's really fuel for what you're doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely is. And I mean, you get cold, like you you'll be cold if you didn't eat enough, right? Because we're that high up and we need that. So um, you just you learn your body and the environment, which is some of the reasons why I did Everest this past May, just to train for K2 to learn how my body handled the 8000 meter peak. And how do I feel for that? Because K2 is a lot harder than Everest. And I just needed to work out some of those strategies before I tested it on a harder mountain.
0: How do you how do you test it at home?
1: Um, I'll test it at home, like just you know, as best as you can. I can get up to eleven thousand feet on hikes in Utah. Um, I can manage like water, like how often do I want to drink, or what works there with eating, and like that's why I dehydrate nuts. Like when you eat nuts at normal altitude, it's not a big deal. You you can eat them, you can digest them, it's fine that little difference of soaking them and dehydrating them makes them that much easier to digest. When you're at higher altitudes, your body stops the digestion process because it's focusing on other things. And so you almost have to have dehydrated nuts to be able to navigate up there and not have stomach distress.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. I never even would have thought of that. And I'm a dietitian, but yeah, I mean, anything that has a lot of fat takes longer to digest and nuts too. So that's, that's really interesting. And yeah, I, I did think about that when you said lentils, some people can't tolerate lentils because they really are full of fiber and they can make you gassy and yeah. stomach issues. But, uh, so obviously it seems like you found what works for you.
1: Yeah, I have. And I mean, you just balance it out, right? You're like, okay, if you have too much of anything, it's never healthy. So you're always you keeping tabs a little bit of like, what did I eat? Okay. How am I doing? Okay. We're good. So
0: do you do any sort of sports products like gummies, gels, goose, or is it all kind of natural foods? Um, I have not had luck
1: when I do those sports products so far um, just because that's what gives me stomach distress. So what I'll take up the mountain, believe it or not, is we'll, they'll have aluminum foil and we'll, I'll wrap potatoes. So they'll have potatoes that are cooked and then I'll just unwrap a potato and it'll be cold and not my favorite thing, but, It's safe. (laughs) Safe is important.
0: (laughs) I've heard runners who do that. They put potatoes in their pack, whether it's sweet potatoes or white potatoes, because sometimes also people don't really want sweet food all the time. And a lot of sports products are super sweet.
1: Yes, 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 yes. And I'll even, I mean, I bring just normal sea salt that I'll put in my water, right? I I don't do the flavorings or things like that. And the sea salt seems to be working fine. So continuing that.
0: Yeah. Really, you can make your own sports drink with just some water and salt. And sometimes you, I say like, throw a little honey in there, but anything you do, I mean, you don't need the, you don't need the products if everything else is working for you. Right. Are you ever scared or worried that you can't do this? Or that's, I think that's what would creep up in my mind. If I put this kind of goal out there, I would still work towards it, but I'd be like, what if I can, not what if this doesn't work? Does that, does that ever cross your mind? A hundred percent.
1: Like I didn't want to tell anybody about this. Like I wanted to do this all. And then when it was all done, we could talk about it. Right. And a girlfriend of mine was like, listen, everybody sees Beyonce. Now, no one got to experience Beyonce on the journey. And this was like when, when I first started into this, this was when COVID was keeping a lot of people home everywhere. And she's like, the closest I get to do anything exciting is watching you and hearing your story or following you with what you're doing, whether you make it or not it's the journey, right? And so learning how to celebrate that journey and learning how to celebrate the process has been a big lesson for me. And it's been really rewarding because the messages that I get from people or the conversations that we get to have while it's happening versus like it's already happened has been really rewarding.
0: I'm sure. And I would think also if there are any failures, sometimes that's more of a motivator in a way.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I'm going to K2 and tomorrow, essentially, um, that mountain, I have a 20% chance of summiting this year. It is just a really savage mountain and it's hard to summit. And it's mainly because of things out of your control, like weather and avalanches and different things. So I know that I will get it eventually, but the chances of it happening the first rodeo are pretty slim. And that's okay because there's a lot to be learned just by being there and learning the mountain. And then I can come back and train better for next year if that's what happens.
0: So essentially that's a one in five chance. How do, how does that 20% number come to be? Well, like you just like, said avalanches it, and weather and whatnot, but what else is factored in?
1: Yeah. You just look, um, Like if the lines, it's really the weather and the avalanches there. And then how many teams are there? Big mountains take a big number of teams to keep the lines set and fixed and running smoothly. Um, You know, right now, the statistics on K2 are not the best. There's been more people in outer space than the top of K2. And right now for every one person that summits, they they say one, every four people that summit, one person dies, typically on the descent. Um, so for me, I have like to come home alive. Like that's my number one rule. And so that really dictates like how much I'm going to push, what kind of risk I'm willing to take. And knowing that I give myself permission multiple times to be out there before we summit just takes the pressure off and allows me to experience the mountain and keep safety in the front.
0: Yeah, definitely not pushing yourself beyond what is safe seems like really the... (laughs) the main goal here, right? Like the goal is to complete everything, but the number one goal is to stay safe above, above everything else.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Last question for you, rest and recovery. So after you do something like this, how long do you take to recover and rest? Um, I'm one of those
1: like heart rate junkies, right? So I really listen to my body and listen to my heart rate when I wake up in the morning and where is it at and where it's at kind of determines on what I can participate in that day. And expect from my body. Um, I can do these things because of my body. So I have to really listen and understand that it's going to tell me what it can and can't do each day if I follow the heart rate, heart rate routine. And so I'm really disciplined about that. And I think that That, makes a difference.
0: I feel like that's a huge lesson because so many athletes just follow a training plan, no matter what the training plan says. And sometimes you do really have to listen to your body. And you said the same thing with nutrition, which is very hard for people to do.
1: Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I love a training plan. I love looking at Sunday and being like, okay, here's what I'm doing this week and here's how I'm fitting it in. But I also have to be flexible enough to say, oh, guess what? This is going to have to switch with this because this is what I'm feeling.
0: Well, this has been uh, so interesting. I can't wait to follow your journey through K2. Do you post everything that you're doing on social media? So people I can do. Follow?
1: I try to post as um, frequently as I can. Wi-Fi is a little limited over there, so we can't always keep updates on the daily. But when I'm on, on the journeys, I try to post at least daily or every other day because um, it just keeps people in the loop of what's happening.
0: And tell people where they can find you on social and your website and everything.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a website called bold brave beautiful.com. On Instagram, it is bold brave beautiful life. And then on TikTok, they have it as Jennifer Drummond Zero. I think TikTok was like limiting or something. And then we also have a Facebook page, Bold Brave Beautiful.
0: So, awesome. Yeah. So you're flying out tomorrow. So when can When can I expect to see you trying this? (laughs) I want to follow. Like how long does it take to get to the point where you're, you're climbing?
1: Yeah. So we will, um, I'll probably land on Friday, right? July 2nd. And then it's a trek into base camp. So the trek into base camp's about seven days, And then once we're at base camp, the weather kind of dictates when we do an acclimatization rotation, which means you go up to a certain point to get your body used to the lack of oxygen. You come back down to base camp and then you wait for the weather window that says, hey, we have enough time to give a legit summit push and not put anybody at risk. So we hope to summit towards the end of July. Um, But again, that's all gonna play out on what mother nature has to say.
0: Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, for the next month, I'm going to be stalking Woo! your media. <laughs> I like it. Thanks again for doing this. It's been really great. Yeah. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. And if you want to learn more from me, follow me on social media at Greenleads or visit my website at greenleets.com.